Okay. Good morning, all of you. Uh, some of you might recall that last year um, we also had a, um, a charter charters panel. We were trying to repeat it this year, but unfortunately there were two panelists who couldn't make it. So together with Capital Link, we decided to mix and rumble a little bit and invited uh, some good friends uh, to, to this interesting uh, uh, part. <coughs> Um, we have, I don't think, need a lot of introduction. Uh, we have uh, Kenny Rogers, uh, he's the head of uh, Aurora Tankers, uh, that is the tanker owner and operator arm of IMC, based in Singapore. Uh, Bjorn Stigner, uh, he is the uh, general manager of uh, Golden Stena, which is a joint venture between uh, Golden Agri Resources and the well-known Swedish Stena Group. Pankaj uh, Kana, um, well-known in Singapore, ex-CEO uh, of Pioneer. He works now with, um, with TMS, which is uh, George Economo Group in Greece, in sunny Athens. And of course, Michael Nagler is uh, the head of chartering uh, of Noble. I think we're all familiar with, uh, with Noble in this part of the world. Um, yeah, then maybe a short kickoff, a short introduction on, on the topic. Uh, which the title of, of, of this 30 minutes uh, or 35 minutes um, panel is the global shipping, commodity and energy markets, ship owners and charters perspective. Um, fossil fuel is still 85% um, 85, 85 of the uh, global energy uh, mix, <coughs> though renewable energy growing fast but for, from a pretty pretty low base. Um, oil is still 34%, coal 28 and natural gas 23. Energy commodities uh, represent almost 40% of all global uh, total, total global seaborne uh, trade, which is approximately 4.5 billion tons. So all these commodities um, will remain a very major backbone of, 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 of our global seaborne trade. So I think with the panel we have here, um, charterers, ship owners, both active in the dry and in the wet, I think it's time for my first question. Um, where do you see um, the major growth of commodities in this part of the world for the next few years? Um, Pankaj, you are very eager. Okay, I, well, I can... Uh, oh, Kenny, <laughs> you jumped the queue. Well, sorry. Kenny, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I can speak more to the, uh, the, the chemical side. Uh, if you look at Asia, look at the production in the Middle East, uh, you know, certainly uh, growth in the uh, chemical production is uh, moving ahead. Uh, chemical demand is really... Uh, uh, chemicals being more of an industrial uh, product... Uh, based on consumer demand, I mean, we see uh, in the future, of course, uh, consumer demand is, is uh, based on population growth. Uh, these areas in Asia, of course, population growth is, uh, is moving ahead. In India, China, Indonesia, the rise in middle class in, uh, in India is quite positive for um, uh, the chemical side because uh, more goods are, are being demanded. And, of course, China can... Uh, continues to be an uh, industrial engine that, that requires uh, chemical uh, feedstocks. 
So that part of the picture is uh, still uh, very good. Uh, the, the unknown picture is the other part of the commodity business that we have to uh, trade in is uh, CPP. Uh, clearly, it's a question mark now. And uh, with 90 MRs being delivered in 2019, the highest uh, amount of MRs being delivered since 2008, uh, that could put pressure uh, on our business because uh, chemical tankers usually need a positioning voyage, and uh, that's our uh, Positioning voyage. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, from my standpoint, uh, the most exciting uh, sector right now is LNG. Uh, in our group, we have uh, just uh, last year ordered 11 LNG new buildings, and that is obviously on the back of uh, increased consumption in Asia in the main. Uh, Asia remains the major uh, import center for LNG. Uh, the other exciting element in LNG is, of course, the increased ton mile. Uh, the U.S. has turned out to be an increasingly important exporter of LNG. Uh, there are a lot of new plants uh, that have been set up, liquefaction plants, uh, in the U.S. Uh, Gulf area. Uh, and we see that uh, ton mile uh, impact that will come through in the next couple of years. Also, there are a lot of new projects which are coming up. Uh, you know, Qatar has already announced expansion, Tanzania, Mozambique, and elsewhere. So I think if you look at shipping, LNG is probably the commodity with the strongest growth. Okay. Michael? Yeah, thank you, friends. Um, we see grain, um, you know, as Kenny mentioned. There's an emerging middle class. Uh, we're seeing uh, eating habits changing uh, across the region, um, which means a greater demand for grain. So grain be positive. Uh, coal, which is a bit of a dirty word, but we do see quite strong demand in the next couple of years for coal. Um, and renewables, I mean scrap, uh, we see that as a trade that also will pick up. So it's not all gloom and doom, um, especially for the smaller types of ships, supermaxes, panamaxes, in our mind, they will benefit from these increases, especially on the grain. South America, China, long haul business. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think there is any problem with uh, growth in, uh, in the commodity space. I mean, uh, oil is growing, dry cargo is growing, LNG is growing. Uh, myself representing uh, Golanagre, which is Indonesia's biggest palm oil producer, so I guess that is biodiesel. I think about 80% of all palm oil goes to food, and the rest is cosmetica and uh, nice chemical and biodiesel. So I think if we talk growth for my sector, that will definitely grow because the palm oil production will increase faster than the food demand. So more and more palm oil will go to biodiesel uh, around the world. And already today, we see big shipments into Indonesia, Malaysia on the, bio di uh, on the diesel blending. And I think that will happen uh, more in China and India. <clears throat> if not for, uh, for environmental purpose, it's also for biodiesel is cheaper than uh, diesel at the moment, so it's happened naturally. Mm. And how important is the, uh, the Asian region for, for, your, for your business? Michael, maybe you? Yeah, I mean, we, we are we're based in Asia, um, and Asia, Asia is our biggest market, um, and that's where our focus lies. So France, um, that's, that's our business, mm. and that's Asia, and that's where we see the growth in short. Okay. Any different views from the panelists, or uh, do you all agree? 
I think, uh, you know, if you look at uh, whether it's crude, for example, 52% uh, of the global seaborne crude trade is Asia-centric, 44% uh, of the grain, 88% of iron ore. So, you know, if we're talking about commodity movements, Asia has to be the most critical uh, region for us. Yeah, is, is, uh, I just want more uh, comment on the chemical side. I mean, there, there's always a mystery to the chemical business as a parceling business, but not necessarily true. Uh, 107, uh, one, uh, 107 million tons of chemicals will be uh, uh, transported by sea in 2019. Uh, 60 million of those tons are three products, are methanol, uh, paraxylenes, and, um, and glycols. So it's interesting to note that when people think of the chemical business, they don't relate it to a commodity business. But it's really a commodity business when you look at that, that statistic. Large, large volumes of these three chemicals are being moved, uh, which can change the dynamic of the whole business because traditionally the, the, um, the chemical business is there are smaller ships, parceling ships. So there may be an interesting dynamic uh, that, that, that's happening here uh, in the future in, in what chemical ships are really needed for the trade. Okay, thanks, Kenny. Staying with Asia, but then branching out to, uh, to, to globally, to Africa, to Europe, to, to uh, Italy, to, to Greece, the, the much described and de debated One Belt, One Road initiative. Um, do you see any impact on, 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 on your business, on your, on your trading patterns, on, on the strategy of your own company? Bjorn? I'm sorry to say that I don't think there will be a big change for the palm oil industry with one uh, belt, one road. It's, uh, Asia is already the strongest market, India, China. So, of course, it will open up new possibilities, but not a big change. Maybe more for dry cargo, I don't know. Yeah, uh, not really. I mean, I think it's more a container a container issue, you know, if you're in the container market, then obviously uh, th there will be a big impact because you'll see more flows uh, come across land. But for us, in the, uh, we don't see big dry bulb movements doing that, and, um, and currently we, we don't see the impact. Mm. Okay. No? No, I, I agree. I don't see anything in terms of direct impact on the trades. France, one thing I'll just sorry to jump around a bit. No, but, go ahead. Um, but in terms of, of Asia being, you know, sort of the place to be, um, I would find it difficult as a ship owner if I was based in Europe. You know, there's so much intelligence out here. So if you're not based in this part of the world, in my mind, you are handicapped. Based, based as being not uh, not having a representative. Yeah, of right. Exactly. Okay. exactly. I think Singapore has become, uh, over the last 10 years, uh, you know, if you're not here, you will, be, uh, you will be handicapped. You won't get the same inputs. Yeah. I mean, I would comment on, the, on the one belt, one road. Uh, when you look at it, it's a massive, massive uh, undertaking. It covers uh, almost uh, over 60 countries. Uh, it could uh, impact uh, the world GDP by almost uh, contributing almost one-third of trillions of dollars. But the more important thing to look at here is the Chinese, behavior of the Chinese. The Chinese are very, uh, very smart. Uh, they're controlling a lot of in infrastructure. They're putting their footprint in places that they haven't been there before. So this will certainly strengthen, um, you know, China because most of the infrastructure 
uh, no matter where it is, is going to be controlled by the Chinese. So it's quite, uh, quite fascinating uh, how they've quietly uh, moved through this. Some countries have been uh, politely uh, pushed aside, um, one being Singapore, I believe, and Malaysia. So uh, there's, a, there's a whole change in uh, logistics and structure uh, coming uh, on the back of uh, the Chinese involvement. Yeah, we're seeing that in my other role uh, as a shipping banker as well. I mean, uh, how, how fast that landscape has, has changed, but maybe that's for later. Um, okay, sticking then, uh, of course, it's a bit obvious if you're based in Singapore and talk about Asia that um, China is, uh, is, is, is a main topic. The, the, the slowdown in China, is that any impact on, on your business? Where, where do you compensate cargoes from or, or, or not at all? Yeah, for us, first, it, it certainly has had an impact. Um, and we are now shipping, we're seeing an increase of our commodities moving into India instead. So India has replaced China on some of our flows. Having said that, we are seeing China coming back. But that's been a patch. On the energy side, we haven't really seen China slow down. Uh, crude imports are still very strong. LNG imports have been rising at an exponential rate. So. Uh, on the energy side, I don't think that we have seen an impact of the slowdown as yet. But of course, uh, you know, recent numbers on car sales have been a bit slower, so that will eventually filter through. Uh, so maybe that's not a 2019 event, but could be 2020 where we see demand growth uh, slow down a bit. Yeah. I don't know if 5% is a slowdown really compared to Sweden where I come from. I, I was checking before, I, haven't, I couldn't find any year we had 5% growth uh, this century at least. Actually, actually six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. But uh, for palm oil it's been great. Uh, thanks to Kenny's president, uh, Donald Trump, and thanks to Canada arresting uh, Huawei uh, CFO. Uh, meaning China stopped canola oil import uh, to a big extent into China, which means more palm oil are being shipped to uh, India, uh, sorry, to uh, China. So it's been great for us, the war. Uh, chemical tanker market definitely had uh, impacted us in the, uh, in the U.S. Gulf to Far East trade, uh, thanks to the uh, policies of the United States of Trump. Uh, however, uh, fortunately, we'll be able to shift our tonnage over. Uh, once again, China is quite resilient, can source from many different sources. So uh, whatever chemical uh, deficit that they uh, had to absorb because of their uh, tariff activity by the U.S. was readily supplied from the uh, Middle East. So actually, our Middle East business has gotten a benefit from uh, the Trump war, and the Middle East trade is actually more efficient for us uh, than the U.S. Gulf trade. So. Uh, all things being equal, uh, this has really helped us uh, to redeploy vessels to more efficient uh, trade lanes. Uh, how's that for you, Michael, the, 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 the U.S.-China trade war? Negative, positive? Negative, negative. But, you know, we, we, we feel confident that a solution will be found and, um, and the wheels will turn again. Uh, but, sure, negative short term. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously it's a negative short term because China's not buying as much LNG from the U.S. Uh, or as much crude oil. Uh, but once that situation flips, we think that uh, the solution for the trade war is that China will buy more energy from the U.S. And that's obviously great for the uh, shipping markets because it's all long-haul 
uh, and a much larger ton mile impact than uh, the shorter haul sources. So I, I think the resolution of the trade war will be a big flip uh, to both the LNG and the crude oil trades. Okay, good. Looking at the clock, we are more or less halfway uh, the time uh, we have been uh, allocated. So I would like to shift uh, a bit more towards um, uh, topics related to, to the charters and the owners. Um, a question maybe um, for you. Um, how, how do you select uh, ship owners uh, to chartering vessels and how do you manage the counterparty risk? Michael, as charter, you're also ship owner, but you're on yeah. both sides. No, sure. Um, so we use, first of all, we obviously have long established relationships uh, where we, we obviously know who we're dealing with. Um, if it's new counterparties, um, we screen them uh, financially. Um, we use a company for that. Um, on the technical side, we use uh, another company, uh, Rightship, um, where we check the, the structural uh, parts of, of the transport. Um, and, and we do that rigidly. So, knock on wood, we, 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 we have avoided any, any significant issues. Uh, but that's a key, you know, if you don't do that, you will end up in having problems. How many vessels do you charter in? We charter, so last year we chartered, uh, we moved 28 million tons of cargo. Um, that's you know, five, six hundred ships. Okay. Bjorn, on your yeah. side? <clears throat> so we move about six million tons of pounds uh, and uh, we charter about 300 to 350 vessels. Um, our biggest supplier of ships are Shell, Cargill and Coke. So... <laughs> Interesting enough, um, so, but of course we do a strong vetting on our vessels as well. Although palm oil still doesn't is, uh, need any sire or CDI, uh, I think Cargill is the only one who is uh, uh, screening vessels. But I think we will start uh, doing it uh, in course of this year, uh, probably with right ship, uh, and start to uh, try to improve the quality of the ships. However, in, uh, in our shipping world, a lot of the ships that we use or repetitive uh, doing the same kind of business, palm oil only, for example. So the history and uh, knowledge about the owner and uh, vessels are quite strong in that mm -hmm. sense. And uh, supposedly we are in a good economy, so no one should go default as of now, right? So we have to wait until the world collapses. <laughs> and Kenny, do you think these guys are too powerful, the trading houses? The cargo owners? Yeah, well, certainly uh, the, the whole dynamic of the, uh, the chemical business has traditionally been driven by COA business, uh, by COA contracts. Because, as you know, the, uh, the, it's a win-win for the uh, producer, the traders, uh, and the owner. Uh, in the past, it's been a win-win. However, uh, this, uh, this, these type of agreements have eroded in the last couple of years because of the down market. And unfortunately... Uh, it's not such a win-win anymore uh, for the owners. Uh, tr traditionally, um, you know, knowing that the, 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 uh, the chemical tankers are very specialized, that these aren't market-ready ships, market-available ship, there was a benefit, of course, uh, to the cargo interest. But now in a down market, uh, you know, some of their uh, clauses and, uh, for instance, uh, quite, quite readily we see uh, charters that are offering no, no minimum cargoes, which is very, very unusual. A couple of years ago, you, you wouldn't see this. 
erosion of freight rates. So, so the dynamic uh, is, is changing uh, to some extent that uh, you know, I think many other chemical owners, not only ourselves, are rebalancing their portfolio, not moving away from COAs, but rebalancing their uh, COAs to get uh, make sure they're, they're in a more favorable position and not held hostage by uh, uh, poor rates and poor terms. The terms are also very important. It doesn't matter if you secure a, a high freight rate, but you don't have any minimum. So, you know, basically you have, uh, you have air, that's all. So it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation that's evolved because of the down market, more tonnage in the market, uh, but hopefully we'll see it come back when there's more production um, online in the U.S. Gulf and the, uh, the Middle East in the next uh, year or so. Pankaj, any views on this? Uh, well, it depends on the sector, uh, but, you know, ship owning is so fragmented. Uh, we have no power... Uh, pricing power in this industry, and I don't think we will ever get that. And then our customers have been consolidating and becoming larger, uh, so obviously their pricing power is increasing, or their power to control the market is increasing. Uh, from the ship owner's side, the only thing we can do is consolidate ourselves, so I think some of the financial players are driving that consolidation, so you see that uh, the tanker companies, especially the public companies, are becoming larger, and we're seeing that on the drybulk side as well. Uh, and then there is also, of course, the route to go into pools if you want uh, some consolidation in that sense from the commercial side. Uh, but, you know, this is the thing that we have lived with for the last uh, how many ever years, and it's something that we'll uh, see going forward. Uh, but we cannot remain as fragmented as we are today. Uh, things are changing from the customer standpoint. And if we stay as fragmented, we'll have, I mean, we'll lose uh, even more what little uh, pricing power we have, which is virtually negligible. Yeah, I agree. Okay, um, maybe now to another topic. Um, Sorry, can I follow up on yes. that one? Because on. I think you know, there's always, uh, you know, that you've got the evil big charters here and then you've got the owners on the other side. Um, but I think that's slightly misleading. I mean, it's a partnership um, where mm. it, it should work in partnership, you know, and no company is bigger than the market. You know, the market is the market. So. In my mind, no, big charters are not too powerful because there's not only one charter. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think there's a slight sort of perception that if you're a small ship owner, then you're being exploited by the big charter. On the contrary. Um, and I think it's important to have that sort of relationship because otherwise, um, yeah. you know, as soon as you have an issue, then it's difficult to solve if you have that mindset. Yeah. And I mean, you know, two thirds of our business is third party business. And we are ship owners as well. So the long-term long relationship, the long-term relationships yeah. is, is definitely uh, a key part here. Yeah, no, sure. I mean, it, it certainly improved, but when I started in shipping you know, a long time ago, it, it was very confrontational. And, and there's no need for that. Mm. Okay. Staying to the, to the charter's perspective, as you know, from, from, from the trading houses, a number of them uh, own their own fleet, uh, such as uh, Glencore, uh, Trafigura, um, Vitol, uh, Gunfor, some, some of them not 100%, but in, in joint ventures with, 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 with owners. I think especially in, uh, in, in, in Greece, there are some um, joint ventures with trading companies and, and, and owners. And other uh, trading companies uh, like Koch, um, Cargill, and Mercuria, they seem not to be 
investing too much in uh, in own, uh, own 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 vessels. What is the view of the panel? I mean, for for a for a, a large trading company to to invest in in steel in in, in long term assets, should they do that or not? Okay, both you both have it, so the answer is most likely be yes. But <laughs> No, I, I mean, it, every trading company should have their own, their own ships. It makes complete sense. You know, by being a trading company, you see the commodity flows. You have a much better handle on the supply and demand picture. So you are ahead of the traditional ship owner. You know what's going to happen. Or at least you have a much better idea. So it makes complete sense to own ships. Um, unfortunately, a lot of trading companies, that they, they don't put enough uh, value or, or emphasis on the shipping part of it. They just think, well, the ship's moving bits and pieces around, but the knowledge that a trading company has got is significant. I mean, when I started in shipping, uh, whatever, 20, 30 years ago, uh, there was a lot of uh, old classic ship owners like Stena, for example. And today, as you were saying, I mean, our biggest customer on the palm oil side is uh, Shell, uh, who I think have 65 MRs and have new orders coming, right? Although they don't own them, they have done uh, financial deals on them. So I think from a ship owning perspective, it's uh, absolutely horrible because uh, the trading companies, they will control the market, yeah, you know. Yeah, they like the market to go up, but they also like the freight to be fairly stable. Uh, so I just wonder if, uh, you know, how will the future look if we talk about that? Will the future be that uh, ship owning is a commodity itself and you have, uh, you know, uh, financial uh, deals only and uh, the traditional ship owner disappear or will the sh uh, traditional ship owner come back? And uh, I think as long as we have this many shipyards, uh, it will be a tough life to be a ship owner. That's my conclusion, because the trading house will just have uh, enough tonnage to control the market themselves. Chemical has not happened really, uh, but palm oil swings between the product fleet and the chemical mm. fleet, so I can see that clearly. Yeah, the question is, you know, where, where have owners, even the chemical side, were impacted, especially by some uh, um, in tonnage and new buildings by some of the major oil companies. And the question really is, is where have the independent owners failed? In, uh, in not providing uh, assurances or providing assets that would give, uh, that would, uh, you know, stop oil companies from uh, building their own ships. So something's happened uh, uh, somewhere uh, where maybe we have uh, failed uh, to, to give uh, oil companies assurances not to build their own ships. So? So, I don't know what that answer is. <laughs> <laughs> Something, uh, there's something uh, not right, you know. Okay. Um, maybe a bit of an, uh, of an open question. Uh, nicely introduced by, 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 by Kenny. What, what, what do you see as the, um, the, 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 your major threat going forward? What is your, your biggest concern nowadays? Let's not talk about scrubbers or... <laughs> Ballas for the treatment, or Kenny? Events. One of my colleagues uh, today at Coffee, we were talking about our inability to forecast correctly. So I think this is an industry-wide problem, uh, and and he mentioned it's because of events. Quite quite interesting. 
how do we measure events? How do we predict events? But geopolitical events, uh, of course, uh, are a major threat to being able to uh, you know, forecast your, your future. I mean, every day uh, there's some, some type of uh, political event happening, whether it be Venezuela, Iran, um, the destruction, the basic destruction of the ITC terminal in, uh, in Houston, uh, that's an event. So many events impact our business, and uh, how, how, do we, how do we predict this? That's, that's, the, that's a major threat to us in the future. Okay. Bjorn? Uh, I think the biggest threat is the shipyard capacity. So, I mean, as a shorter, uh, of course, it's nice to have too many ships to choose from, but ultimately we want to have a stable platform of ship owner uh, that we want, can choose from that we know are sustainable and can survive the climate. But with all this shipyard, and we can already start to see it in Japan, uh, you know, look back in history, even my own country, Sweden, in the 80s, uh, the government started to build ship uh, just before they went bankrupt. And uh, it will totally saturate the market with ships. And although we have had such a good growth on commodities, we still doesn't have a shipping market that is uh, super firm, which it should be. So I think shipbuilding capacity is a problem. And uh, as I said, I think we can see it in Japan already start happening where the government or the shipyards themselves are start building, which is a worry. And I will put a lid on the market for a long time. I'd say uh, we've been very fortunate, uh, you know, although you said scrubbers and we should not talk about it, but thank <laughs> God for the scrubbers because so much of the capital has gone into that investment that uh, that would have probably gone into new buildings. So uh, fortunately for us, the supply side over the next one to two years is manageable. Uh, what will happen if the markets go up is another matter. So really what I see as the biggest threat right now is a... Uh, concerted slowdown in the global economy. Uh, and we are starting to see indicators across China, Europe, and the U.S., which suggest that something, some form of uh, a downturn is coming. Whether that slows down the growth or whether it takes it into recession, we don't know. But uh, you know, there are signs on the horizon that uh, the economy is starting to look a bit weak. Right, okay, we only got four minutes and 36 seconds, so, uh, but it's a long list of various things which the other guys have mentioned. Uh, but for me, I think the biggest concern is that we're entering an environment with short-term thinking um, that is a different mindset, um, which potentially will change things dramatically. And that comes to relationships, it comes to um, shipbuilding. People will not think long-term. It's all short-term fixes to make it look good short-term. So that's... That's my concern. Um. Okay, maybe my last question before we open up the floor for, um, for some questions is um, going back a little bit to Bjorn about shipyard capacity, prices. Is it a good time to order new ships or not? Or should we refrain? <laughs> we should, of course, refrain. But. Well, I guess a ship owner is always an optimist, right? So the prices are a bit high at the shipyard still. So I, I only know the wet market product and the chemical. So I would wait a little bit, at least in that segment, to build. Um, I agree with what you were saying, that there is less new building coming, so it looks bright. But 
I'm coming back to the thing, why don't we let the market come up first before we kill it, right? And have a one or two good years. Why start building now already on something that we think will happen? So ultimately, no, I think we should not build any vessel. I think we should let the shipyard go busted and then uh, enjoy the market later. Kenny? Prices are going to increase, clearly. Uh, price of steel is going up, price of labor. Also, more importantly, that people don't discuss is governance, governance by the Chinese government. So, you know, for years and years and years, Chinese uh, built ships with no margin. But I, I can uh, see the trend now is that there's more control by the government to ensure that uh, if they build ships, there must be a, a margin uh, in the project, which will significantly, not significantly, but certainly is going to increase the pricing. Yeah, I'll just add one thing. Um, the shipyards haven't really, on the dry bulk side, haven't adjusted the price line with the market. So we have the standoff situation. So at the current prices that the yards are offering, too high. But once they adjust, which they have to, otherwise they're not going to attract any orders, um, then we see it in the dry bulk segment on the smaller sizes as an interesting uh, entry point. I mean, don't really see the need in uh, in the dry bulk or the tanker sector. I mean, you can see where the markets are. Obviously, we are well supplied, and uh, every barrel that needs to be moved is being moved uh, at rates which are competitive, and the same thing can be said for the dry bulk. Uh, I think the only place where I see the need is on the LNG side. The order books are already at 25%, but if you look at what's coming in the pipe from the liquefaction standpoint, uh, I think we will probably see another 100 ships ordered over the next year or so. That's the only place. Okay. Then I have exactly uh, one minute and 20 seconds left before the hard stop. Any question? <laughs> if not, then uh, thank you. We rushed through uh, a lot of topics from... Uh, from commodities to trade flows to trade wars um, and, and, and issues related to owning or ordering. So thank you very much, my dear panel, and uh, until next year.